Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my co-author and dear friend, Adrian Gostick. Hey, thanks everybody. You are in for a treat today because we hope every time you join us, the time is going to help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. And we invite experts from around the world of work and life to give us ideas and most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. And you're right. It is going to be a treat today. This is our our good friend and our guest for the day. His name is Chris Shembra, best-selling author of the book Gratitude and Pasta, the founder and chief question asker at the 747 Gratitude Experience. Chris is also USA Today's gratitude guru, a founding member of Rolling Stone's Culture Council, and was recently honored with Chris Evans, Howie Mandel, and Michael Phelps as six successful men smashing the mental health stigma. Welcome to the show, Chris. We're delighted to do this again because, as you know, in the first recording, the sound just was not good enough to showcase the great Chris Shimra. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. And you know what? I give gratitude to that technical difficulty. Um, one is that you got to have the technical difficulty with a a pretty low guy on y'all's totem pole, me. And so, uh, you know, you didn't have to to uh, waste it on some big executive, you know. But, no, it, it, it's amazing what happens when you're given, given the opportunity to redo something is that you learn so much more the second time. And that's really the theme of my life right now is looking at these impediments and obstacles in the way as becoming the, the, the true learning lessons uh, they give us the resilient strength and hope needed to persevere. Ah, that's awesome. Thanks, Chris. And uh, you know, we would love to, you know, you're, we know a little bit about you enough now to, to know the, the impact that you have in the world. But tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, um, and how you came to create these 747 dinners, which have now transformed mm-hmm. into experiences. Just give us a little of your story and, and, and how, you get, how you got here today. Of course. Thank you, Adrian. You know, my, my life, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's funny talking about the, the topic of gratitude. I'm probably the least grateful person you'll ever meet. I do not practice what I <laughs> preach. We can all work on those things within us. And I realize that. Um, and that acknowledgement is what I'm grateful for. That ability to have the agency of thought. And, and I realized that agency in about July of 2015. See, if you looked at my life back then, eh, it didn't look half bad. I was running a company in a different industry. I was having a pretty good time of it. I was traveling around the world producing Broadway plays, and life looked really good on paper. We had some awards. We had friends. We had all these things that one would see upon the well-to-do. But, you know, it was just coming back from Italy during that time after I was producing a Broadway play over there when I realized this ain't it. Just because life looks good on paper doesn't mean it feels good in the heart. I had stress, anxiety, a sense of overwhelm, disconnection, being unfulfilled with what I was doing. Italy woke me up. The art, the the culture, the, the language, the love... It was intoxicating. It was life-changing. And when I got back to New York, I realized i got to do something about this. 
So I really thought, what was it about Rome that changed my life? Well, it was it was food, <laughs> specifically pasta. So back home in my kitchen here in New York City, I started playing around with different recipes in my kitchen and accidentally created a, a pasta sauce recipe that I figured I should feed to people to see if it was even good or not. Get some user feedback. And a ritual began, Adrian. Night after night, week after week, month after month, we just started gathering people. And me, you know, I'm the lonely guy growing up. I'm the one with the fear of abandonment. I'm the last one called to the party. My invite was always somehow lost in the mail. That's a lot of times what happens to people who are known for knowing people. You get forgotten about. And that's what drove me down the road of suicide, depression, jail, rehab. I didn't want to go back. When I realized the dinner table could have a transformative impact on others, I realized it had a transformative impact on me. The great Johan Hari once said in his TED Talk, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's human connection. I finally found my place. We've been blessed to use the dinner table to spark over 500,000 relationships in the last five years. Found something I would do for the rest of my life. But, upon inspection, realized it wasn't this pasta sauce at all. It was doing the heavy lifting. It's what we talked about, every experience. That was gratitude. And we'll get into that on this chat. So now you know why we love talking to Chris Shembra. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I'll agree with you. You know, there's something about the experience of food in Italy that is, it is transformative. But, so the question I've, I've got for you, though, Chris, is so you did that to build human relationships. Then you transformed it into building uh, business relationships and professional relationships mm-hmm. as you shared this concept mm-hmm. with, with companies. So how does that help with anxiety at work? That's a great question, Chester. And, and you know, to, to answer that, I, I got to start with some recent data that we've uncovered. You know, we were privileged to do all these things in person and then... Unfortunately, the pandemic occurred. What was fortunate for us is that we were able to pivot online and start producing virtual gratitude experiences. We've produced hundreds since the start of the pandemic, serving the biggest companies on the planet. And what we would do is we, at the start of our experiences, these are 90-minute virtual kind of micro-interventions, positive psychology micro-interventions. And at the start, we would take a moral barometer on how people were actually doing quite literally at minute six we would say y'all welcome if you could think of one word that honestly describes how you feel right now in the moment what would that one word be i know your colleagues are on the call your boss is probably sitting across the screen from you put that bull crap aside how do you really feel Well, on a scale of one to five, people feel like crap. (laughs) We were able to study across hundreds of virtual gratitude experiences that on a scale of one to five, most people start at a 2.79, slightly less than neutral. Top three words, nervous, anxious, overwhelmed. Everybody right now is sitting in their seats at home, Wondering what tomorrow will bring. And tomorrow is uh, pretty uncertain. Tomorrow's not even promised. Anything can happen 
in a split second. And so when the future looks so bleak, looks so uncertain, looks so fearful, that develops, as you know, great stress and anxiety. Not anxiety disorders necessarily, I can't comment on that, but just feelings of stress and anxiety is what we've observed. And it's been crazy to see that. Some groups start lower. Some groups, a group we just did, a couple hundred person event from just last Thursday, they started at 2.15 out of 5. 57% of the people came in feeling a 1. Ouch. That's crap. That's crap. It's because we're so focused on the future, right? We have a culture of people who are geared towards what do I got to do to be productive to get that next career advancement? What do I got to do to close that next sale? What's the next goal that I'm hitting? When do I get to get that next car? We're so future-oriented, and it's it's all based on accomplishment. It's all based on hitting that one thing that we don't have yet. A life focused on rewarding success is a life acknowledging what we don't already have. And that drives people to very dark places. That's why we've been blessed to find gratitude. Because gratitude is the link to the past. The past is safe. It's already happened. Even if it hurt or helped you, if it was positive or negative, it's already back there. Now you can process it. Trauma, stress, anxiety doesn't occur from the trauma itself. It occurs from your reaction and the coping of that trauma. The only difference between post-traumatic stress, which leads to anxiety and depression, and post-traumatic growth is perspective. Hmm. That's what gratitude gives you. It, ha- so, it hacks the space-time continuum. It's amazing. It's a magical <laughs> cosmo. <laughs> so, so, Chris, tell us how you use gratitude within these experiences, because we've been a part of that, and it's really cool. So kind of walk people through it, and then how we can learn in our lives about this. And, and, and how can they sign up and be a part of one of your amazing meals? Don't forget that. Yes. Yeah. You know what? If anybody's watching or, or listening to this, and if you want to be... Uh, our guest to a, a future community experience. I can't invite you to our client experiences, but our next community experience, they're once a month. If you feel lonely, tired, hungry, reach out. We'd love to have you. But to answer your question, Adrian, you know, at our very first dinner, we asked a simple question. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to they've never thought to thank who would that be now if you're watching this I want you to pause for a sec and think about that question what does your body do when I ask you that question do you take a deep breath do you let out a sigh of relief do you move your shoulders around who have I never thought to thank I don't know. That could go one of two ways, right? You could either think of people who helped you along the way or hurt you along the way. So what happens at these experiences is we ask this question, whether it's in a group of 18 or a group of 45,000, whether it's in person or virtual. We use gratitude in a pro-social way. 
See, most people use gratitude wrong. That's why we have a broken society. We have anxiety and stress in the workplace because gratitude's been abused. They either think it's something you do once a year at Thanksgiving or maybe twice a year if you celebrate Christmas and you write a thank you card to that aunt, but that's an extrinsically motivated thank you card that your mom is forcing you to do. You don't want to do that. Or three, they write in a gratitude journal. Now, what's the problem with the gratitude journal? It gets hidden away in a drawer that nobody ever gets to see. Gratitude is an inherently pro-social tool. And so we do that in community. So what happens at our, I won't go into the what we do. People can just go to our website and literally download our run of show. We give away the playbook for free. We also wrote a book about it. Um, But why we do it is to give people a glimpse of a pause, a reflection away from the anxiety thinking about the future. When we ask that gratitude question, and as I mentioned, people do one of two things. They either reach way back in the past and pull forth some positive autobiographical memory and they get to relive that positive emotion by talking about it. Or they reach way back into the past, pull forth some negative story, bring it into the present, communicate it with their peers, and just the talking out of that destigmatizes the, de- the negative, and then the people listening get to pretty much say, huh, we've been through something similar. And you find connection through that trauma. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Someone might talk about, actually, Adrian, question for yeah, you. this is going to be good. Yeah. Oh, I'm kind of nervous. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> I'm at a one. Chris has Adrian, done this to me, so brace yourself. Go ahead, Chris. If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? Well, I don't know that I've never, but it's very rare. Is my old dad, who's 91, who's in the hospital right now, had a heart attack last week. Uh, you know, it's, it's, the emotions are very raw, but, but we're English, you know, so my good old dad, uh, you try and tell him and he goes, Oh, you know, stop it. You know, we don't, we don't do that mushy stuff, you know? And so, uh, but he is somebody that I, you know, as I, as I think about my hero and there's somebody I've learned the most from, it's, it's my dad. Your father wouldn't acknowledge when you would tell him the mushy stuff but what actions would you do in your childhood to show the mushy stuff hmm (laughs) that's a tough one yeah because because being english you you don't show as much um but you know you'd I'd, i'd follow the follow the rules to show you know there were things like you know being seen and not heard was you know part of it uh, but also just learning, I think, from him, you know, learning and uh, soaking in the the examples that, that you know, and the, the things that he would do. He was very uh, loyal, very, uh, you know, he could de- de-escalate situations, kept humor, and was very analytical. And so I, I soaked all that in. When he taught you to be seen, not heard, reminds me of a line from a play I produced about Fiorello LaGuardia where he's holding up a picture of his two kids, Eric and Gene, and he looks down and he says, Now, kids, don't worry about people knowing you. Make yourself worth knowing. 
My question to you, Adrian, how do you help others be seen and not heard in your work today? Well, I think one of the things that we do is when I go into an organization, Chester's very good at making connections at the top. And, you know, the CEO, the head of HR, they love Chester. Uh, what I think I do, I think quite well, is I go in and I meet the people in the middle, you know, the the, the manager, the guy who's got 12 people in the warehouse. And, and I learn his story or her story. And, and I think I'm quite good at that, at, at getting those stories that we then, you know, spread around the world to help others. Sounds like a good working class, blue collar, English type of mentality that you've been able to do with hundreds of thousands, millions of people. What's your dad's name? Gordon. Gordon. Gordon or Gordon? Gordon. Yeah, Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Well, cheers to him. I look forward to his legacy impacting and being more a part of your stories to these middle managers going forward because they all have fathers and maybe their learning style was similar to his. Love that, Chris. Thanks. So uh, <laughs> that was a free therapy session right there, Adrian. You, you know, uh, no charge. <laughs> yeah, top that, yeah, Chess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you top that. Everything yeah. I'm going to say from here on out is going to be uh, fairly trite. <laughs> but it's, you know what, you know what, Adrian? Yeah. It's the, 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 the idea, so gratitude doesn't have to be this grand, courageous gesture. Mm. Just the acknowledgement of small things like that are enough. And most people overestimate how hard gratitude will be to give mm. and underestimate its effect on the recipient. So most people think of gratitude as something awkward or weak, something that they shouldn't do. It's not worth their time. But even something as simple as two minutes like you just spent could be life-changing for others. Science calls it witnessing theory. We call it observational gratitude. I'll give you an example. In the Tamil culture of South India and Pakistan and that kind of region of the world, there is actually no word for gratitude in their language. There is just the honorific titles, the the bowing of the head, the kissing of the feet, the bestowing of gifts, etc. <laughs> Actually, there's no word for gratitude, but there's a word for if you don't have gratitude. It's called a nandri ketanai, a gratitude-lacking dog. Now, where observational gratitude comes into effect in witnessing theory is my friend Diana Lane Miller. She is a uh, not a native Tamil. She's half uh, Indian, uh, half. American, half Tamil, but when she goes back to Tamil weddings, the appropriate thing to do is to kiss the feet of her grandmother. Now, what happens is that the people of the wedding, her extended family, watching this non-native Tamil practicing a Tamil ritual of gratitude and thanks, makes them all cry. <laughs> They're not the one doing the gratitude. They're just watching it. So... The idea that gratitude doesn't have to be life-changing for you, Adrian, or Chester, for me to ask this question, but someone, just one person, watching this, might have everything transformed. In the world of positive psychology, there's only two things that have a lasting impact after a positive psychology micro-intervention. Mindfulness and gratitude. And even just witnessing is it enough. Is enough. Well, so... 
you know, Chris, you've made the transformation from in-person to digital really well. And, uh, you know, attending your mm-hmm. digital or virtual dinner, however you want to describe it, really was transform- transformational. I-, I was a little disappointed that not everybody was eating pasta. That was just a little aside. Um, <laughs> talk to us about how these kinds of events help remote people feel connected to, to mm-hmm. create that, you know, create that openness and and, and that can help teams foster that that unity that everybody's searching oh, yeah. for that now that we're all just on a screen. Does that make sense? Totally. When the world shut down on Friday, March 13th, at least that's when America kind of went into lockdown, at least New York um, at the time, um, we kind of said, uh-oh, now what are we going to do? God, I, I'm in love with bringing people together. We should just keep doing these. Even they started in the pandemic for free for our community. They were every night of the week for free for our community. 50 to 100 people were showing up every night just to cry. And this collective trauma was actually a great opportunity to bring people together. Sebastian Junger wrote a book called Tribe. And in it, he found that community of sufferers, brotherhoods of pain, is where creativity grows and flourishes. Technically, he told the tale of London in 1940 during the 57-day air raid, the Blitzkrieg from the German bombers. They predicted bomb neuroses would wipe out the city. It didn't. Suicide and depression rates went down because people connected through shared trauma. I did my first TED Talk about that. How hurricanes are Mother Nature's natural form of empathy. They destroy communities but then bring people together in the process. So we knew that that was the, that was the common denominator. For the first time in a long time, we had shared collective trauma. Well, that's an opportunity for connection. And so these, these virtual experiences, they're these 90-minute micro-interventions. We think of them like a three-act play. The first act is about just coming into the present, right? People needed to forget about the struggles of their day for 90 minutes. So our first objective was just to get them to come here. We'd ask them how they're doing. We'd take that first moral barometer. What's one word that describes how you feel? Put in the group chat. They would realize they're not the only person that feels tired or lonely or disconnected. And then we put them in breakout groups to let magic happen. What we f- heard was what people were finding in those breakout groups was serendipity. It was structured serendipity. People missed that casual run-in at the coffee shop, the casual run-in at the employee you know, lunch counter. And, and so we were giving them that opportunity to connect in those serendipitous ways. We'd bring him back, we'd debrief stuff, we'd call in some volunteers, that'd be act one. By this point, people are in the present. More present eyeballs, more sitting up in their seat, they were here. Act two, gratitude. Our famous gratitude question, put them in more breakout groups. Let them run wild. 15-minute groups. Imagine being with two people for 15 minutes where all you're doing is talking about people that you've never thought to thank. This is everything from fathers that abused uh, a young daughter to a mother who never approved of you until her deathbed. All these things were coming up. 
And that was act two. That was the deep dive into the past. And then we'd end on a high note. What, it, what we'd find was so amazing. After we'd bring them back from the gratitude and they'd be super connected, we'd take that second moral barometer, everybody would be positive. We'd debrief, we'd call in some volunteers, then we'd set up for act three. Act three is very simple. Write down five to seven values that the person you just gave credit and thanks to stands for and put those in the group chat below. And what we'd see is all these values. If you've got 200 people on a call, you've got 1,000 values flooding a group chat. So I'd watch all these eyeballs lighting up, calling a few people. Hey, Bob, what's one word that your colleagues wrote down that stuck out to you? Those kind of things. And we'd see all these people getting really engaged. And we'd pause. And I'd pretend like it was the first time I, I was ever seeing it. I'd say, do me a favor. All of y'all, raise your hand if you saw someone else write down a value that you also believed in. All hands went up. That's physical proof that quite literally, something simple I'm about to say, you belong. I don't know what it took for them to get to that experience, but they made it. And they found a group of people who believe in the same things they believe in. We heard stories of trouble. We heard stories of triumph. We heard stories of overcoming fear, personal liberation. These are the things that connect. You remember Chaucer's Round Table, Canterbury Tales? The whole book is essentially talking about how life is a series of like 12 different characters, right? We all have, whether you're in India or you're in California or you're in Africa on the same call, in the same breakout group, if people are talking about a mother, a father, a dog, a teacher, a boss, a stranger, a lover, you likely all have one of those things. You just don't know whether it was a positive or negative relationship. But those are the things that connect us. These characters. These stories. It's, it's been amazing. We have a 99, we have a 99.998% success rate guaranteeing a positive emotional transformation. <laughs> so from minute six, when they're miserable, disconnected, tired, nervous, anxious, to minute 55, the second moral barometer, after the gratitude part of the experience, they're grateful, connected, happy, joy. 99.998% success rate. The only 0.002% of people, three words, guilt, shame, regret. Why did I not thank someone sooner? But, but, just that acknowledgement leads to positive action. That's, that's great, Chris. Love this. I love everything you're saying. I mean, you know, speaking of my old dad, my old mom, they, uh, my mom was in uh, London during 1940, and the, she was a young girl then and got shipped out. Can you imagine? I think she was probably 10 at the time, got shipped out while the bombs were falling to, to live with a family in the countryside. My dad was in the Midlands where all the uh, manufacturing plants were, so they, they have stories of bombs falling. And, and you're right. I mean, and it, how did the English get through it? It was their humor, and they'd all be down in the bomb shelters together singing and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, talk about humor. Let me talk about December 10th, 1914. Thomas Edison, hell of a guy, <laughs> lived right around the corner right, from Chester. Boy. He was in West, <laughs> yeah, he was in West Orange, New Jersey. Well, he's having dinner one night, December 10th, 1914, and his son Charles walks in and says, Dad, all your buildings are burning down. He says, all right, I'll come over. 
And he gets there, and like six to eight different fire departments are there trying to put out this unstoppable blaze. And he looks down at Charles, and he says, go get your mom and all her friends. Let's go watch this. We're never going to see a fire like this again in our lives. Right? He could have been angry. He could have gone into depression. He could have started blaming people, pointing fingers. He didn't. He wanted to observe the spectacle. He brought a little humor and enthusiasm and vigor into it. Estimates show that he lost about $990,000 that night, which is like $23 million today. But the next day, he started up again. I mean, he lost over half of his buildings. These are all his inventions and papers and all that kind of stuff. The next day, they started up again. That year, they made $10 bucks. He was only making a million dollars a year <laughs> up to that point. Then he started making $10 million a year up to that point. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Mm. And it came through humor, right? We live in a society that rewards success. We need to reframe rewarding failure or setback. Get this, babies. Babies, when they're born, they laugh like 4,000 times a day. <laughs> they just are always laughing. And they're always failing. Think about it. They how many times did a baby try to talk, walk, crawl, touch things, right? It, there are a series of failures. And somewhere along the way, in stage two of Eric Erickson's 1958 psychosocial development stages, somewhere between the ages of three and five, we're taught that failure is not good. Somewhere. So if we could just reframe and reward Sarah Blakely, founder of Spanx, Every day she would come home from school, her dad would ask her, how many times did you fail today and what did you learn? Marcus Aurelius, this old guy from Rome 2,000 years ago, the old emperor of Rome. He was a Roman emperor. He was the philosopher emperor, yeah. He was a great, great, great dude who was going through a lot of the same things we're going through in our world today. The Antonine Plague, political opposition, usurpers, running out of cash, high taxes, fleeing people, same stuff. He sat down and wrote some stuff in a book that would be called Meditations, Letters in Stoic Philosophy, or Words in Stoic Philosophy. And he says the impediment to action becomes the action. Ryan Holiday says the obstacle is the way. We learn more from those setbacks than we ever could from our successes. So you want to talk about anxiety at work? We encourage cultures to develop cultures that reward setback. Cultures that don't dismiss employees who speak up, have an innovative thought, go out and do something about it, but maybe they fail at it. It's all right. You didn't get killed today. The company didn't fall apart today. It was just one small step back on a team that you can make up for. But you learn more along the way. You what? You learn what I call the South Star Principle. You learn what not to do, not what to do. I remember at our first paid client dinner five years ago, some guy came to the dinner and he said, Chris, you like to have lunch with the devil to learn, don't you? I said, yes. I learn more about what I don't want than by thinking about what I do want. In our gratitude question, a lot of people give credit and thanks to their old bad bosses. <laughs> they hated these bad bosses. They couldn't wait to quit from these bad bosses. But they can give gratitude because they learned about what ways they don't want to lead. 
And that is valuable. That's gratitude. I don't think I asked a question, so I think it's my <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I, I, I get so enthralled listening to Chris. I go, I so Chris where just, are we in the show? I have no clue. Yeah, I know. I think I, I, I think I just made a comment, and then Chris went off. So it's so awesome. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Okay, so I love this idea about, okay, let's, you know, with managers, and we, we talk about this so often, and it's, it's, it's amazing how few managers get this about the idea of, learning from failure and making it okay and making it safe. So give me something else. I mean, you're, you're such a fond of wisdom. Give me something else a team leader can do right now to start making some positive changes in their team. Stop calling people special. Really? You got that star, you got that star employee and you got some people that want to become that star employee. Stop calling either of them special. It's what's gotten us to a broken society today. We used to be massively social creatures, gathering in tribes, going around the world chasing woolly mammoths. You know, if you didn't get along, you died. But now everybody's fighting against each other, even within cultures. They're fighting for that next promotion against who? The person they're supposed to collaborate with every day. What is that teaching? Now here we have... A nation of broken people. 51% of the American workforce reports being lonely on a consistent basis. That's equivalent to a reduction of lifespan of smoking 15 cigarettes a day, seven years off your life. What's going wrong? One of my thing is we got a nation of soft people. We got a nation of people who, like me, grew up in a bubble with a scarcity mindset, who was always called special, who got the A for Effort Award, and that is a sense of entitlement. Two ways. Either you call me special and I just walk around the world thinking I'm better than you and everybody else is just a curmudgeon. Or you call me special because I've been through some kind of victimized situation and I deserve more pity and praise than the other people around me. Both of those are forms of entitlement. And the way and the quicker that we can get people to stop thinking about teams that way... And to put people more on the same playing field, the better off we'll be. Gratitude lessens the effects of hierarchy. I mean, I'll give you an example at our in-person experiences to then loop back to my favorite line in your groundbreaking book, Leading with Gratitude. In our virtual, uh, in our in-person experiences, the goal is to work together to create the meal. Whether it's a group of 20 or a group of 2,000, we put everybody to work. What this does is it levels the playing field. You'll have a CEO making peanut butter with an intern. When you have a shared experience and everybody's on the same playing field and you're invested with sweat equity, you are there to serve. That develops humility, which as you say in your book, having humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking about yourself less. That develops a posture of otherness, servant leadership, all this great stuff, right? So, in your book, you say, I can quote your book all day. <laughs> we love the that, by the way. Um, in, your book, <laughs> in your book, you call peer-to-peer gratitude the greatest tool for employee retention known to mankind, right? Gratitude amongst peers, colleagues. This isn't gratitude amongst peers, but don't give gratitude to the leadership team. No, it's like give gratitude to the leadership team and to the interns as if you're all on one level playing field. 
right? Flip the idea that a company has to be a hierarchy and then a group of customers. Put it all together like that and make it all be symbiotic. I'm not talking about some woo-woo, airy-fairy, fartsy, you know, kind of leaderless or, well, not that leaderless organizations are bad. There's plenty of great leaderless organizations like the Apache Indians, Alcoholics Anonymous, Emule, the stream sharing site, a lot of things. But this is like leveling of the playing field. Um, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Did you ask a question? Was there a question in there somewhere, Adrian? I, uh, I, I don't remember. No, I'm just kidding. No, that actually has been really helpful. I mean, the idea, and I love this idea, Chris, of, you know, we basically pit, and managers do this, we pit people against each other by singling yeah. people out as, like you say, the special, and instead of, uh, you know, helping raise the entire team. Uh, yeah. It's a skill that so few managers have. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather reward servant leaders than stars. And this doesn't mean everybody gets an award because we're just, you know, E for effort kind of thing. It's like reward the people that highlight the work of others the best. The quiet ones. The quiet that the ones that don't brag for the attention. The ones who aren't building a personal brand within your brand. I mean, talk about you know, a funny thing that Simon Sinek talks about is like, uh, you know, the, the tree, the nested Y within the Y of the organizations. A nested Y is, I'm making this up on the spot, this is probably either going to be good or bad, but a nested Y is the acknowledgement that you're building an internal brand within a brand. Anytime that you give people the opportunity to, to build like their own personal brand within a brand, you create individualism and competition, all, all those things. Yeah, you know. Wait, don't we know yes. that, Jess? We did <laughs> we, that once within a company. We, we, were, we were part of that story. <laughs> did not go yeah. well. We're not there anymore, are we, Adrian? What? Not anymore. What, what was that at... Uh, when you guys a previous were, firm. Yeah, we, um, yes, yeah, gotcha. We'll, we'll just leave it at that, Chris. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, you know, um, in our in our book um, Anxiety at Work, we talk about how you create inclusiveness, right, and uh, and social connections. Great story about firemen mm -hmm. or firefighters, as Adrian would have mm -hmm. me say. Um, mm -hmm. You come into a firehouse, and if they ate together, they had a healthy relationship. If they didn't, they could tell something was up. So, you know, that's part of a ritual, right? In, in a firehouse with firefighters, they eat together, they, they bond. Other than um, eating pasta together, which is wonderful, and, and that eating experience, what are some other rituals that you found that help bring people together, whether they're in-person or remote, that can create that inclusiveness and, and by consequence, tamp down anxiety on the team? Well, we call them gratitude sparring sessions. It, it's, it's, it's these peer-led accountability sessions to practice acts of gratitude. Let's say, for instance, you come to a virtual... Let's say a, a, a company buys just one gratitude experience and they bring 100 of their employees to it. All right. So each of those employees gave one gratitude action at that experience and their lives were transformed now imagine 
What if we could empower them to do 10? <laughs> what if we could empower them to do 100? But more so, what if we could teach the employees how to keep each other accountable to do those things? And what this could look like, it could start internally. For instance, one of our clients, I don't think I could say the name, but big defense contractor, probably one of the most famous defense contractors you'll ever hear of. And we did a small 180-person group <laughs> for a virtual gratitude experience, and they sent out a, 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 a Miro.io board, a mural.com, Miro.io, a whimsical, whatever you want to use. And what they created was a digital forum for people to post online anonymous post-it notes of gratitude to their peers. Now, you could put that into an app. You can do that into a whole lot of things. But that's an example of saying create the space for them to show gratitude to each other. And you've just, you know, taken that one step further. And then you can actually get them all Gina Hamaday's book, I Want to Thank You, which teaches you how to write gratitude letters and give them the time during the day. Here's the thing. Most people don't plan a fail. They fail to plan. Companies that give their employees time during the workday to do these things are the ones who win. Not to give them homework to do after they go home from work, but like we have one company, a publicly traded company, that we did 562 of the senior executives on their product team. We did every experience in the morning, eight different experiences. We did them each in the morning across different time zones for different regions. The company gave the entire teams the day off for the rest of the day to go digital detox, digital darkness, go walk in nature, pause, reflect, connect. So if you can create sparring sessions to hold people accountable, to take further gratitude actions, their life will get exponentially better. And it's going back to that witnessing theory and observational gratitude. Uh, it's pretty magical cool. stuff. Hey, uh, tell it's, us where we, we can find, yeah, sorry, just uh, where we can find more information about you and 747 Dinners. What website would you send them to, Chris? Uh, the jail records for Orlando <laughs> County. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, I, I looked up, there was like 47 hearings for me in like 2009, 2010. So, so for our listeners, um, if you want to know what Chris looks like, just go to your local post office. <laughs> His picture's yeah. all over the place. You can get him from no. the front. <laughs> yeah, you'll see him from the front and the side. Yeah. The, um, no, uh, find us on LinkedIn, um, you know, Chris Shembra, um, you know, just reach out. You know, if you want to come to a virtual gratitude experience as our guest, just email us. Email info at 747club.org and someone on the team will get back to you. But, you know, years from now, when we've long passed on, history will look back and say, what did you do during people's greatest time of need? Because here's the truth, y'all. This isn't the biggest obstacle we've ever faced in the world. This isn't the greatest plague or pandemic we've ever been hit with. This isn't the greatest period of social divide. We fought wars over this stuff before. We'll get through this. This is small stuff. But history will look back and tell the stories of the people that were there for others in their darkest hour. And so with this book that y'all are writing, you're literally giving people the playbook to affect institutional change from within. It helps people live longer, 
happier, more successful lives. It's giving them back that peace of mind, that agency of choice, that perspective between stress and growth. Um, and so, look, if you like that and, and you like what that's all about, we'd love to serve Excellent. you. <laughs> I love it, Chris. I wish you'd, you know, I wish, Chris, I wish Chris could grasp some of the details. You know, he's so vague. There were 562 people. It was April 12th. It was raining. Uh, you know, it's like having, it's like having Rain Man on the yeah, show. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I love it, Chris. Hey, you've been amazing. You've been absolutely Thank amazing. You. And uh, I just noticed 50 minutes have flown by, so we better yeah. wrap oh up golly. here. Yeah. Oh, my golly. Oh, um, my if you had to wrap up and kind of you know share a couple of things you'd like our listeners to take away today in a nutshell, what would you tell them? In 30 seconds or less, Chris. <laughs> the pregnant pause. Focus equals focus equals growth. I've learned more. Gary Keller taught me this from Keller Williams. I've learned more from doing one thing and diving deep into a master class on one small thing like pasta sauce and gratitude than I have from going wide and spreading myself too thin. The master class on humanity that I've gotten as a kid with no college degree, a criminal record, suicide, jail, rehab on the resume, moving to New York City, sleeping on my, my buddy's couch. I got my master's degree in humanity from focusing on something. And if you keep doing that, and I don't, I don't, I don't say quit your nine to five to pursue a life of passion. That is not macroeconomically sustainable. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but just focus on one thing and maybe you'll wake up one day and be the best in the world at what you do. And that will be enough. Awesome. That's it. Chris, always a pleasure to, to talk with you. I'm, for those of you that are listening, I'm holding up his book, Gratitude and Pasta, by Chris Schemmer, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. He is awesome. He is our dear friend. We love spending time with you. Thanks so much for being on the show, Chris. So now you know why we love Chris Schember, right, uh, Adrian? I mean, just such a deep thinker. My gosh. Uh, every answer was a, a book, you know. And uh, I'll tell you, some of, some of the things that, that, that I took away was this whole idea of the power of his gratitude meals where people would come in at about a one you mm. know and uh, the average was 2.7 out of five how do they feel a positive and and then you know they 99.9990873 or something at the end yeah. how, how important that was for people that were feeling anxious and displaced how they through these gratitude dinners just really came back to a sense of calm and goodness and why? He said, because we're so focused on the future. Yeah. Um, my next meeting, my next sale, my next promotion. Uh, and where did he says we begin in the present, bringing you to the present. So again, it was leaders listening to this, trying to think about, okay, how do I reduce the anxiety of my team members? Bring people to the present, right? Yeah, yeah. And how this collective trauma really was benefit, you know, whether it was the bombs dropping or the pandemic that... Uh, you know, the, the thing you said, uh, hurricanes are nature's way of bringing people together or whatever, however we said that. But the whole idea that it destroys buildings, but it brings people together. The pandemic has destroyed a lot of our social yeah. norms. It's even destroyed a lot of, you know, jobs and whatnot. And yet at the same time, it's brought a lot of people together. His, his way of taking the negative and bringing it back 
to the positive, those expressions of gratitude, to me was just so engaging and so heartfelt. Right. I mean, right now, Edison's uh, Edison's buildings are burning, right? Our our old world is not the same. And so you can either look at it like, hey, tell your mom to come on out here. She hasn't seen a building burn. Or you can think, well, it's doom and gloom. And, and of course, there is doom and gloom. But are we looking at a way of, uh, of reframing this? So he talked a lot about that failure... Um, is something we need to expect. We're a society, instead of being a society that rewards success, we're a society that rewards failure and learning. Love that. Yeah, I, I love the analogy he gave about babies, that they cry, th- that they laugh thousands of times a day, and yet they're feeling it everything. <laughs> and then as we get older, we laugh less and less. There's a lot to be learned from from babies. And it is true that, you know, the, the great educator is not the success, it's the failure. It's what did you learn? What are you going to carry forward? And uh, by the way, that story of Edison is legendary in New Jersey. Take a look at that. You'll never see a fire like this again as long as you live. How he he enjoyed the moment while he was losing, you know, a million dollars. Well, you know, I, I, you know, you and I have known Chris for a while now and he's impossible to not love. I mean, he is just such an engaging, lovable character. And one of the reasons is, is because he's gone through so much trauma in his life and has emerged this softened and wonderful and engaging and grateful person. There's there's a lesson to be learned just from talking and being in his circle of influence, isn't there? There really is. And and he is what he preaches, that we should be looking for and rewarding leaders who who aren't worried as much about building their own brand as as much as they are building others. And those are the kind of leaders, you know, the question we get asked so much now is, how do we lead out of this? Well, yeah. you lead out of this by putting yourself behind your team instead of, you know, worrying about yourself right now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's a lot, uh, lot, to, uh, lot to learn from Chris Schember, and I hope people will engage with his monthly dinners and, and, and his books. Well, special thanks to our producer, Brent Klein, who makes us sound like we're more, smarter than we are and <laughs> make sure the quality is world-class to christy lawrence who helps us find all these amazing guests and especially to all of you who have listened in thank you so much for giving us your time uh, we'd love you to pick up a new a copy of our new book anxiety at work available from harper business and check us out on linkedin or wherever you like to uh, to follow uh, folks uh, we also have a great community at we thrive together.global where we'd Love to hear from you, and we're trying to create a nice, safe place there to talk about anxiety and mental health at work. So until next time, take care and be well. Mm-hmm.